if that was Dabo doubling down in this age of NIL and portal and this transactional sort of existence that we are very quickly moving toward, if he's doubling down on, hey, if you want to come here and be nurtured and, um, you know, if you want God to be a part of, of, of your kid's life at wherever he chooses and you want us to nurture him beyond just the football field and help prepare him for life beyond football, which is going to end way sooner than a lot of these kids anticipate, then, you know, more power to him. And I, you know, again, like I, when I heard that, I'm like, Ooh, man, just, you know, cause like if a professor said something like that, you know, I think, you know, you, it would probably be like, Whoa, what, what, but professors and, and football coaches are totally different. Uh, endeavors, I think. On today's episode, we preview Clemson's matchup with Tennessee in the Orange Bowl. Later in the show, Larry Williams stops by. We also take some listener hot takes and college football playoff predictions. That and much more on this week's episode of The College Football Show. This is the Nachos and Analysis College Football Show, presented by Nachos and Analysis. Welcome to episode 19 of the Nachos and Analysis College Football Show. Today is Thursday, December 29th, and Clemson plays its final game of the 2022 season this week. I'm your host, Drew Archer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Johnson. How's it going, Matthew? It's going pretty good. This is a little weird for me, though. I'm in my PJs because we're recording this one a little bit earlier than usual. We usually record like in the evening into the nighttime, but... It's noon right now, so yeah, this uh, might be our earliest uh, recording. Normally, we're uh, in, I guess, post work or school attire, maybe with a, a beverage in our hand. But right now, I'm just sipping on coffee and water. Water is water for me too. So <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, we're we still have personality. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, but um, after this episode, we got two more final episodes of the season. So the season's dwindling down. Uh, the Tigers is game week. The Tigers got Tennessee. So uh, we got a jam-packed episode. We're going to uh, look at our picks that Matthew and I gave out for week two of bowl season uh, and discuss how that went for us. We're going to look at this week's Twitter poll, which was Friday. The Tigers will face their second SEC team of the season, excluding South Carolina. What SEC team do you enjoy watching Clemson face the most? So uh, we'll look at that here shortly. Then Larry Williams from Tiger Illustrated and host of the Clemson Dubcast stops by. I believe he is down in Miami uh, with the with the team doing interviews and that kind of stuff. So uh, we'll check in with him here in a little bit. And as always, fact or fiction before we give our week three of bowl picks out. This will uh, it's a big week for bowl picks for us because we're coming down to one of the last weeks. And then uh, Matthew and I, I think we kind of touched on it last week. Our family all got together for Christmas uh, this past Monday, and we brought a mic and got some hot takes and playoff 
predictions from our family members. So we will insert those here uh, later in the episode. And then, and then we'll break down the Clemson-Tennessee matchup uh, and give out predictions. So a busy episode after a couple short ones. Uh, we got us a full-length one here, Matthew. Let's get to it. All right, so bowl picks for this week. Um, last week, after uh, me tying it up the previous week, you took another one-point lead. However, we're neck and neck. Matthew finished with two points last week. I finished with three. We're tied up on the season with 21 points. Um, looking at our favorites here, we both have the same favorite, Wake Forest minus one against Missouri. Um, any thoughts on that game? Um, I honestly did not really watch that much football. Any of these games, really. <laughs> um, the only thing I really had to say about my picks was uh, I'm pretty upset about my o- over pick when we made our picks. The over was 49 or the line was 49 before the game. It moved to 47 and the game ended with the total score being 48. So uh, I'm not hitting on that because I picked it when it was 49. Uh, it just hurts a little bit. The over did hit in that game. I just didn't get it right. No. Um, but yeah, everything else went well. This is one of our best weeks for picks, I feel like. Yeah, yeah definitely mine too. Um, the only one I missed, and you also had it for your underdog as well, was the Utah State-Memphis game. Uh, I had it at 7.5. You had it at 7. Regardless, that game was not even close. Yesterday, I didn't really have much going on, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go check out Happy Hour at Wild Wing Cafe because I've been <laughs> having some ESPN issues at the the apartment. So went and sat there and got a, a, a appetizer and watched that, and that one got away pretty quickly. So that one was not even close for us there. As far as uh, the picks that hit for me, I might over hit uh, with uh, 43. That was the Baylor Air Force game. And then um, for the first time, I think, ever, when I picked a game twice for two different picks, it actually hit for both of them. So I actually went Wake Forest Mizzou uh, under 58 and a half in the Gasparilla Bowl. So tied up at 21 points heading into this is really like the. The, the final full week. Yeah. After this, there's only one game really to pick. Yeah. So if one of us takes a, a, a two point edge this week, it's really going to be impossible for the person the next week. So. Um, hopefully it's Matthew going to Goodwill and picking up a Carolina <laughs> shirt and not me. <laughs> I almost, I did tell Drew, uh, when I saw him on Monday that, uh, I almost bought one cause I was in dollar general out near Columbia and they had a Gamecock shirt for like 1250. And I was like, 1250 is way too much to spend on this. I'm going, uh, I'm going to Goodwill if I have to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. $3, uh, even just the $3 Goodwill purchase, that might be a little too much. So Um, yes, I was just coming down to the nitty gritty here with our, our picks and later in the show, we'll give out our picks for this week's episode, the last full week before the national championship. All right. Twitter poll Friday, the Tigers will face their second sec team of the season, excluding South Carolina. What sec team do you enjoy watching Clemson face? Um, the options were Georgia, Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee. And I'm opening up Twitter on my phone now because there were well, a couple people. And, I was just going to say, I'll go ahead and give my opinion. Um, I voted for Georgia, but also not because it's great. Like the buildup to pl- Clemson playing Georgia 
is great. It's great trash talk with all my friends. I'm the only Clemson fan in my friend group and pretty much everybody's Georgia fans. Um, but the stakes are so much higher personally, so it's really nerve wracking during the game. Um, but I do think we have a nice, healthy rivalry with Auburn and even Texas A&M a little bit. We're pretty friendly with both of those teams. So uh, those ones are f- fun to get around. Yeah, we also had uh, a couple people comment some uh, other SEC teams. It only gives me four options when we do a Twitter poll. Uh, Keith Jones, who is a Clemson and Mississippi State fan, says uh, Kentucky. And then David Mitchell got in with Texas A&M, so he kind of agrees with you there on that one. I personally voted for uh, Auburn. I think there's a lot of similarities there between the two schools. Um, we've played them a lot in the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, it's always a always a, typically a good game So and, and, and nice fans. So, uh, yeah, I went with Auburn there, but the results – uh, went more with what you were leaning towards there, Matthew. Uh, Georgia won with 63% of the vote. Auburn, 21%. Uh, and LSU and Tennessee were tied with 8%. So Auburn may have nice fans, but some of their uh, post-grad alumni are just unbearable. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a reference to Devin, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my brother is the unique. Uh, uh, he's graduate of both Clemson and Auburn, so... Uh, and didn't I did not get a chance to make it to an Auburn game while he was down there, even though I told him every season I was going to come down there and watch <laughs> a game with him. So, um, but next, Larry Williams joins the show. All right, today we are joined by writer for Tiger Illustrated and host of the Clemson Dubcast, Larry Williams. Larry, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, appreciate y'all's interest in uh, talking to me. Absolutely. So, um, I, I wanted to start off with uh, last week, um, uh, Dabo had an NIL comment that kind of got some feathers ruffled and and all that kind of stuff. And then coincidentally enough, last Friday's episode of the Dubcast, you reshared uh, some old interviews. I believe uh, the first one was with with Cade's mom and um, a big part of Cade's decision and bringing Clemson on the on his radar was kind of similar to that NIL comment of, of Clemson, uh, Dabo's comments after winning the 2016 national championship and uh, praising God and that kind of stuff. What, uh, what were your takes on, on Dabo's comment last week with the, the NIL stuff? You know, personally, this is just me. Um, you know, when you're dealing with a public institution and, and, and you have, employees of public institutions invoking spirituality personally that you know like what back when new cop comes just baptize practice way back when you know that type of thing generally kind of makes me a little uncomfortable just because of the mixing of 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 religion and um leadership i guess but again i want to reemphasize that's just my personal preference or or um sort of philosophy i don't know what the word is um but on the other hand i'm also sort of not defensive of dabo and his his approach but more hey man it it works and i don't think it's like a snake oil thing i don't think it's a you know some people might mention hugh freeze um i think it's He's the same dude he's always been. Um, 
he has always um, his spirituality and Christianity has always been important to him. Um, there's been no record that I can think of of any players feeling like they've been excluded or persecuted in any fashion if they chose not to um, identify with the same, um, you know, views of, of, of their spirituality. Um, and as you mentioned with Cade Klubnik's decision to go to Clemson, I mean, parents and, and, and kids seek that out, right? I mean, not all of them. And so you could argue that, you know, there are, there are some folks out there who, you know, Clemson is costing its chances of, 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 of bringing in because of it being such an outward thing. But, you know, I mean, I would argue that I don't want to say it works because that sort of suggests that it is purely a recruiting pitch, right? I don't think it's just that. I think it comes from a place of, of, of genuineness. Um, but if that was Dabo doubling down in this age of NIL and portal and this transactional sort of existence that we are very quickly moving toward, if he's doubling down on, hey, if you want to come here and be nurtured and, um, you know, if you want God to be a part of, of, of your kid's life at wherever he chooses and you want us to nurture him beyond just the football field and help prepare him for life beyond football, which is going to end way sooner than a lot of these kids anticipate, then, you know, more power to him. And I, you know, again, like I, when I heard that, I'm like, oh man, just, you know, cause like if a professor said something like that, you know, I think, you know, you, it would probably be like, whoa, what, what, but professors and, and football coaches are totally different. Uh, endeavors, I think. I don't, I don't think there's any anybody doubts that. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but that's sort of my rambling perspective on it. No, definitely, it absolutely does. And you referenced the um, the transfer portal and um, NIL. I know that's uh, a question you typically ask former players when you have them on the Dubcast. Um, what's What's your take on on where kind of college football is headed with with NIL and um, uh, the transfer portal. Well, first of all, thanks for, for listening to the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, it's a tough one. Um, because on one hand you can argue that, Hey, this is where they're headed. I mean, the courts have mandated it. Like there's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube when the Supreme court unanimously just shreds the entire amateurism model. But on the other hand, you look at the ability to transfer instantly without any penalty, and you really worry about the raw numbers of kids who are not going to graduate. Um, I know there are plenty of success stories out there, plenty of very legitimate arguments for players who just didn't have a good fit where they initially chose and they were allowed to transfer and they go on and, and flourish. And it's been great. Um, Chase Bryce is a, is a great example. One of, one of many, um, Spencer Rattler, that's another one, you know, um, 
but I, I'm just concerned when I, when you step away from the anecdotal and the isolated, what troubles me as a, a lover of college football and as someone who, you know, I really care about the, the, the kids first and foremost, because I was one once, you know, I was a 18 and 19 years old and I know, you know, how much my psyche would have been affected if I had a hundred thousand dollars in my bank account. Right. Or if I did play football hypothetically and I got screamed at, you know, on the second day of August camp and um, I was third string much longer than I anticipated how easy it would have been to, to go somewhere else and um, how the education part, you know, I already wasn't all that interested in, in education and I didn't have a bunch of money in my bank account and, you know, I didn't have uh, pursuers from other schools. So I'm, I just try to put myself in the same situation. All, all of us were, were that age once. And so the raw numbers of kids and, and the, the numbers, I mean, the statistics are out there. You know, I think I want to say off the top of my head, like of the thousands of of, of kids who've gone to the portal, 40% have found landing spots, I want to say. And that is just, uh, that is, that, that is troubling. And I know that when Dabo says that or, or says that he's troubled over that or another coach says he's troubled over it, then people automatically point to, Oh, well, you have a $10 million salary and you can jump to the next, the next job you know, and not face any penalty, whatever. Well, I'm not one of those coaches. I'm not making $10 million a year. Um, and I'm saying it like I'm, I am troubled by it for the ultimate ramifications when you're dealing with just the, the sheer numbers of guys who I, I believe that when you go into the portal, your chances of ultimately graduating take a severe hit for various reasons, including the inability to find a, a landing spot. But even the ones who do find a landing spot, you know, you're having to transfer credits and do all that stuff, have, having to meet progress toward degree, degree requirements. And so it just becomes harder. And then you're in this world where the education part is being minimized, you know, in sort of the the daily conversation about it, whether it be on Twitter or through the national media folks, you know, who seem to be overwhelmingly just more like, yeah, these kids should be able to do whatever the heck they want to do. And there's certainly a legal um, uh, position for that, which I mentioned at the beginning of this answer. So I don't know where, I don't know where the happy um, sort of, most productive medium is, um, you know, I, I do think there's an argument for reintroducing the penalty, the one-year penalty uh, for transferring and tying it to academics and progress toward degree, degree and graduation and making sure, okay, if you're in good standing after a certain amount of time, then you can leave. I don't understand why coaches like Dabo and others just get torn apart when they continue to talk about the educational, the importance of education. It's almost like people are like, uh, oh, that's, you know, that's a, 
that that's a concept that's past its time. And uh, these these degrees don't mean anything. They're not even really going to class and this and that. And I know that's partly true, but I also know, sort of going back to what you mentioned in the uh, from the conversations I have with many, 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 many former players. Um, man, it seems like nine out of ten. You know, the vast majority of them who have gotten their degrees, they treasure that thing and they treasure the people who push them to to continue sticking it out to get it, whether they did it during their football career, here, careers here or whether they came back years later and finished out the degree. It means something. And so I don't like the fact that that is just sort of glossed over now in this new sort of landscape of of uh you know pay for play and and free uh mobility among among uh schools for players it's kind of it's kind of like the basketball thing where players are choosing their schools and it has nothing to do with the academics or education like educational integrity of that school it's just i'm gonna go there and play for a year and i'm gonna go make my money after that so uh, it has, I feel like that's kind of been the trend for college football right now. Um, and I'm not, too, I'm not opposed. I was, I was all for the NIL, uh, and getting pay, players paid and transfer portal, but I'm, I'm not opposed. I think the idea of the penalty for transferring and I think Dabo mentioned it like last week, um, the penalty or like you transfer, you have to graduate from there or some, something like that, uh, thought those were all interesting ideas and definitely something that needs to be discussed uh to just help transition this time at least yeah and i don't i would be interested to hear you guys thoughts on sort of the national conversation about it about all this stuff and i don't want to limit it to just twitter um but twitter's a big part of it um like it just seems like the voices the voices of restraint are so few and far between. And that also applies to playoff expansion. You know, like I'm, I personally think that the four team playoff has worked marvelously if the intent, and I think it was, was to identify the best team in college football. And I just see so many reasons thrown out there for expanding. Like just a few years ago, within the last year, it was, Oh, it's just too boring and we don't have enough of our country represented and, you know, people are just turned off by it. And, and my answer to that was always, well, instead of trying to engineer interest and parody, shouldn't we maybe let it happen organically and maybe put more of the heat on the traditional football powers that have stunk up the joint for so long, like Texas? Florida State, Miami, Southern Cal, Michigan until last year. Well, lo and behold, Michigan gets in last year. Cincinnati gets in last year. Michigan's back in it. Um, you know, Southern Cal was almost in it. Uh, and so, you know, that almost solves itself a little bit. I mean, Georgia was even kind of an afterthought. Not an afterthought, but just a, like three years ago, it was a Clemson and Alabama world and Georgia wasn't even really talked about much. Well, here they are. They've become the dominator, you know, the, the king, the king of college football, really, until further notice. Tennessee was knocking at the door until, uh, until just recently. Anyway, I went on a playoff tangent, but I'm curious 
like with the NIL stuff, I don't read or hear anybody mentioning, hey, what are we really doing here? Because with the portal, you're going to have large numbers of guys not graduating anymore. I mean, is that not important anymore? And um, what does it do to the, to the, to the mind of an 18 or 19 year old when he, he has a hundred thousand dollars in his bank account in college? Not that he doesn't deserve that money, but what are the implications there? Is he going to be less interested in going to school? You know, I'm, I'm sort of turning the tables here to, ask you guys for your perspective on what the conversation on whether the conversation seems sort of one-sided on, on, on a lot of this. I, I think so. I, I think the, the conversation of, of education is taking a, a back seat. Uh, you, it, it is never really brought up. And I, like you've touched on, that's been something that's really important to Dabo. I was talking with somebody about it over the Christmas holiday and I can't remember the exact statistic, but, how many kids have come through Dabo's program and only just a handful have never actually graduated. And, um, and to your point, like every, every person that I speak to that's a former player, whether it was under coach Sweeney or not cherishes that degree, like you, you said, and I, and kind of bring it into the NIL. Like I agree. I think that these players, they, they put a lot of work in. They, I'm not arguing that they don't, deserve it but i think that whenever this this ruling happened and it just became legal it's like the wild west and there's technically rules but there's not really any rules and uh, i think something along the lines of i don't even know how you would describe it but kids getting this this money and creating some kind of a trust or account to where maybe they get it once they graduate or they get a, a percentage throughout school to have money to live off of and and spend on on whatever they want, um, but that's kind of kind of my take. But then you start seeing rumors whether there's validity to them or not. But it coming into play with with transfers, and now coaches are having to re recruit their own players to keep them from transferring out every off season. Um, I just think there needs to be more structure. I don't know about you, Matthew. Yeah, I mean personally, I've always kind of been for change not ne- not necessarily that the college game needed it i've just never been the type of person to be like afraid of change or when change starts happening i'm usually pretty on board with it but i do think like managing change and turnover and stuff is very important which is what drew was talking about i think with having whenever they first made the nil announcement i thought like this gives the whole summer for the ncaa to like come up with some rule sets, some standards to keep this in check. And then the day came and nothing happened. And it like, it's been the wild West, like Drew said. So uh, I think there does need to be regulations and some kind of stipulations in place. I'm not sure what they need to be. There's people who make more money than me that uh, can make those decisions. But uh, I do like the change and keep pushing forward for like a new version of college football. We're just in a transition of it. Uh, the transition is not that easy right now, I think, though. Yeah, and I'm as great as all that, you know, the, the idea of tying this stuff to academics and trusts and all that. I love those <laughs> those concepts, but I'm pretty cynical about where we're about whether that's actually realistic. I just think we're headed full speed toward collective bargaining and full on pay for play, and, and they're going to be employees and. 
I don't know if I saw an idea. I think it was Andy Staples talked with an AD who mentioned the possibility of the conferences themselves employing the the, the players, um, so you can get around some of the antitrust entanglements, right? So the conferences under this premise, the conferences set the rules, the the, the, the salaries or whatever are collectively bargained and can't transfer, you know, he, you're bound to that conference and the, under whatever stipulations they set forth. And so I think that's a, maybe the best option I've seen under this new, under this new um, landscape we're headed. But I just wonder, of course, at what cost, because, um, you know, again, the education part. Um, and now we have to say the NCAA and college athletics, they, kind of freaking made their own bed in a lot of ways with the just the relentless and reckless pursuit of more cash and then the total ignoring of oh maybe we could do something for the players back in 2005 and not <laughs> pitch a fit and have an investigation when they get an extra bag of skittles on their visit so i mean and then of course coaches you know they're not they haven't turned down many raises you know, over the last 10 years when things have truly gotten out of hand or the revenues have truly just skyrocketed. And um, so it's really kind of, you know, I mentioned the Supreme Court, like it makes perfect sense why they would look at the whole model and say, this is bunk. So I don't think that, I think people are off when they blame like the the media or the greed of players or whatever. I, I think there's some parts to that that are true, but I think the ultimate part was it was just a bad system that was just stuck in the past and, and was really um, brazen in, in, in how it just totally ignored the idea that, um, Hey, maybe you, you want to actually modernize your, your model to the point where, you give some benefits to players, including like long-term health insurance and things like that. Oh yeah, exactly. Because uh, I mean, the players are putting their bodies on the line and some of these players are going to go to college and never play football again. And some of that's going to be because of an injury. Like they're not going to get, uh, that's a conversation I know that's happened in professional sports and uh, unionizations of those, but uh, it's definitely a conversation that needs to happen for college football. And uh I'm hoping it's sooner than later because, like you said, it is uh, the destruction has kind of started. It seems like kind of transitioning to this week's uh, Orange Bowl matchup. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, just a few hours after the uh, the individual player press conferences, and uh, there were some interesting comments from from KJ Henry and a couple of the defensive linemen. Um, what is your take, Larry, on uh, because Dabo last week made reference that they're they're getting some players that they thought might originally were going to be going to the NFL. Um, do you think this specific game and how it goes will will determine some of the defensive linemen's decision to go on to the NFL? That's a great question. Um, you know, I don't think Dabo would have. You know, he's a pretty smart and calculating dude, and he wouldn't have made that part of his press conference if he didn't feel like it was a big, big deal. Um, 
with some of the guys who apparently told him they're planning on coming back. That said, you know, I've been really hesitant to put myself out there and say, all right, here's what I think is going to happen. Because, man, you just never know. You know, like Brian Brzee could show out in the – and I don't – and I don't – I'm not saying I know what his intentions are right now. Um, but he could show out in the game and get a, you know, a boost into the into the draft. I mean, I, I I've written, uh, and uh, I guess dating back a couple of weeks that that he's been back and forth. Um, Tyler Davis was the one that popped up right after Dabo said what he said on signing day that I heard. That was Tyler Davis, Joseph Ngata. Um, I didn't hear really much about KJ Henry. I just assumed he was gone, so that was a bit of a bit of a surprise. Rook, I, I had heard, was probably gone. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I don't think Dabo wants to steal their thunder, and I also don't think that all of those decisions were set in stone when he when he sort of publicized them. And so, I'm always careful to. Um, to jump the, to not jump the gun. Um, I think I think the defensive linemen are having some fun with the mystery part of it too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but man, it would. I just wrote today. Uh, this is this is Wednesday, as you said. Um, just you know what a. I mean, I'm assuming this is not going to be nothing. You know, I'm assuming it's going to be a pretty big deal. But what? Uh, just another confirmation of, of Clemson sort of defining itself and living up to the the idea that it's different you know not to say that that some of these guys if they come back aren't coming back in part to boost their stock you know like that's a part of it too that's that's a big reason christian wilkins and austin bryant and uh, cleveland farrell came back in 18 it wasn't just that they had unfinished business it was also hey we want to have a big year and uh, in, in, in enhance our draft position. So that's a part of it as well. But still, in this era that we're in, as we've been talking about, this transactional world where lots of players out there are like I'm gonna I'm gonna get mine and get out of here. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna transfer. I'm gonna go ahead and go to the NFL. You know, lots of places out there are very transactional at this at this time and I think it's only going to increase in the future and so that the fact that Clemson uh, not only is able to put together another top 10 recruiting class based on the things we mentioned of the more holistic approach of 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 uh of recruiting um but but also uh the the ability um to to have guys who are at the very least seriously considering, um, you know, forming sort of a nucleus and says, "Hey, man, let's come back and let's do this. Let's let's finish this thing out together." So it's not just the draft stock, you know. I think it's also that they love being here, you know, and uh, they believe in in the the culture and the and the you know, the foundation of, of of what's here. So I think it's just. Um, First, if it happens, if, if if it's a really really big deal, when when we do learn of it, I think it's going to be just another another element of of what sort of separates Clemson um, 
from a lot of other places. Good point. And then kind of just transitioning and wrapping up, um, Clemson faces Tennessee in the Orange Bowl. Tennessee, uh, Matthew, I think, referenced earlier in the episode that if you would have told told fans like week eight of the college football season that Clemson and Tennessee were playing, that it was likely a, a, probably a, a national championship matchup. But um, a lot has changed since then, and, and Tennessee is without uh, a lot of its offensive weapons. Um, what what are you looking at in this game as far as is going forward? K, or Club Nick had a, an exceptional game in the ACC championship, but uh, Mac Brown referenced after the game that they weren't prepared for him. Um, you got um, uh, some receivers that kind of stood out a little bit in that game. Uh, what are you looking uh, for in this team kind of heading into the, the offseason? I think just seeing if that, revitalization that we saw uh in charlotte can continue maybe even pick up steam you know tennessee's defense is uh, not exactly a juggernaut i think they have some of the same deficiencies that north carolina's defense did it was amazing to me that not just to see klubnik doing what he was doing um playing the way he was playing but sort of a transformation of the receivers, how different they looked as a result of the ball getting out quickly, as a result of not having a quarterback back there who you could just, it just looked like the weight of the world was on his shoulders and how the the whole team was lifted, not just the offense and not just the receivers. You know, there's a reason I think that Klubnik didn't get more opportunities earlier. You know, I still, I still maintain they should have, put him in um, in the late third quarter against South Carolina after DJ got dinged up on his hip and 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 he clearly was was not playing well um, but I don't necessarily agree with uh, the, the notion that oh Klubnik should have been starting all along you know the entire season they should have done it you know he had some he had some growing to do as well and I think the time this is his time. That was his time in the ACC championship game. Um, I'm interested to see how this sort of more freewheeling style, um, how he's able to, to harness that uh, in the in the next game uh, and then beyond. Um, because DJ was the opposite of that. You could just sort of see him sort of clinching up and, you know, doesn't want to make a mistake. And so, therefore, doesn't get the ball out and then gets sacked or has to throw the ball away. Whereas you see Klubnik, he's like, man, I can, I can squeeze it in there. Let's go, you know. Um, you know, one example of that was the the throw, the little throwback screen uh, in the ACC championship to Brandon Spector. I mean, that's a great play. And it's like, wow, man, um, you know, a big explosive play in the passing game, something they haven't had uh, with abundance this year. But it was like a whisker away from a pick six, you know. And so, not saying that that's a negative. I'm just saying it's a different. It's a little bit more of a high wire act, I think, you know, based on based on the evidence we've seen. When you have Klubnik out there and he's, you know, can fire it, feels like he can fit it into any window, and he plays with this fearlessness. But beyond that, I'm I'm excited just as a football watcher to see what Klubnik can bring to this offense with his legs. Not DJ was DJ was not a bad runner, but Cade is so good 
with both short area quickness and then also top end speed. And part of that sort of reminds you of Deshaun Watson and his ability to extend plays and and then to really accelerate. Um, you know, I think that Cade is just – there were a lot of play. There were a lot of instances over the last couple of years when DJ would take a sack or throw the ball away and the coaches are after the game or on film are pointing out, man, you could have taken off and had 25, 30 yards. I think Cade is going to be much more – equipped and much more willing to take advantage of those sort of pockets that, that defenses uh, give you um, and that DJ didn't really take advantage of enough in the passing game. And that's, and that's also on top of just the design quarterback run game and zone read and things like that. Um, you know, the drop back passing game combined with all that stuff. I just think he's going to make this offense harder to defend with his sort of lethal ability uh, as a runner and in, in, in being able to uh, beat you in different ways. And you referenced Deshaun Watson. I think another parallel there is you referenced the 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 willingness to take some more chances uh, and, and maybe throw some balls that, that DJ wouldn't necessarily uh, be willing to throw like that that pass you referenced in the ACC championship. So, uh, But, Larry, we really appreciate you taking the time to – to speak with us today, to our listeners, check out Tiger Illustrated. Check out the Dubcast. Uh, both are really great. I'm a new-ish Tiger Illustrated member. I joined within the last couple of years, but it's uh, well uh, well worth the investment. So we appreciate it. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate you all asking me to come on. Absolutely. Thanks, Larry, for joining the show. Uh, really great insight. And if you don't follow or are not a member of Tiger Illustrated, uh, it's well worth the investment. A lot of great content and material on there, as well as his podcast, The Dubcast. I look forward to listening to that every Friday. So uh, thanks again to Larry. Next, fact or fiction? Fact or fiction? Fact or fiction? With the absence of Tennessee's major offensive weapons, the Orange Bowl has lost its luster. Personally, I'm going to say fiction because I'm still excited to see what happens. Uh, I think it's still going to be a great game and there's still a lot of talent on both both teams that are still going to be out there. Um, I mean, at one point in the season, both of these teams had national title hopes. And I think that was a good job of the bowl games this year. A lot of bowl games seem to be like teams that were around the same Point at one point in the season so uh, nationally sure without Hendon Hooker Jalen Hyatt uh, Tennessee's offense is just going to be a shell of what it was in September so uh, yeah I'm going fiction but I can see how somebody might say that I'm going to go with I'm going to be that somebody I'm going to say fact it has lost its luster um, obviously being a Clemson fan I'm excited for the game I'm having a, a buddy of mine a Tennessee graduate come over and watch the game with me um, but I think this game is a lose lose for Clemson. If you lose, obviously there's there's the downside. If you if you win, you you hear all the naysayers. Well, they weren't at full force. Um, they didn't have their key offensive weapons, and those those weapons were the reason that Tennessee was what it was this year. So, at least from a national standpoint, I don't think Clemson's going to get credit whether they win or not. Um, but I, from a Clemson standpoint, I think it's important 
because this is Cade's first start as a quarterback. And it's going to tell us a lot, I think, heading into the offseason of what uh, what is to come uh, heading into next season. Also, we'll get into this, or we talked a little bit about it with Larry, and we'll probably talk a little bit about in the um, Clemson, Tennessee preview. But I'm wondering if some of these defensive linemen who haven't announced their decision yet are waiting to see what the offense kind of looks like in this bowl game, perhaps. Uh, because, I don't know, if I'm still already getting a decent NFL projection, uh, would I want to come back and have to deal with the lackluster offense that I dealt with this year? Um, but if there's hopes of of uh, promise in the offense improving, then I think you might see more people come back than maybe uh, originally. What are your thoughts on that? That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I had kind of thought about it as like a f- the few people who are considering coming back probably have already made up their minds that they are they just haven't announced it yet but uh that is interesting to think like i mean i wouldn't blame them either if uh if i wouldn't blame kj henry or brian Brissy or anybody to not come back next year if we're going to put out like the 2020 offense as a as a product um like you're going to go and work your ass off and have the best defense in the country, but lose three games. Go yeah. make your money. Yeah, for real. I did have one factor fiction that I've actually thought about for the last few weeks, but I think about it on Thursday night, which will make sense when I read it out loud. And I forget about it by the time podcast recording comes around, but I wrote it down this week. Uh, factor fiction. Kirk Herb Street is transitioning away from college football and will move to calling NFL games after Lee Corso retires. When you mentioned this to me the other day and you were like, I think about it every Thursday. I'm like, what is it about Thursday that, that <laughs> makes him think this, Ben, that makes total sense now? Um, that's something I've not considered, but I could definitely see there being uh, some validity to it. I mean, if you think about it, over the last few years, anybody who has been a pretty big um, or had a big impact in college football has kind of transitioned that way, uh, especially with the the female uh, sportscasters that we've been with College Game Day, and Mar- Maria Taylor, um, uh, Aaron Andrews, and and the likes of them. So I, I could definitely see that. I'm, there's probably a lot more money in uh, the NFL. However, I do think that ESPN pays uh, Kirk pretty well. Uh, for his college football role, but uh, I'm going to say, I'll say fact there. Yeah, I mean, I wrote this, so I think it's fact. It's like a a conspiracy of mine. Um, I'm not really excited to watch college game day without Lee and Kirk, though. Um, (laughs) Maybe Chris Fowler will, like, age into being Lee Corso. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I just kind of thought that with Kirk calling the games on Thursday night football, um, that maybe that's that'll be a good time for him to transition to a different point in his career uh moving away from college game day when lee corso is gone and it's kind of a just a turning point for the show yeah and they have a big big relationship the two of them kirk's been kind of um uh a big help to lee i think they're on the set and that kind of stuff um it would definitely be a very different vibe but i do remember I was actually talking with my brother Devin about this uh, the other day because he's not a big Pat McAfee fan, but I love Pat McAfee. And um, the the numbers for college game day were um, 
were up this year from previous years, I think like by two or 3%. And I, I think that's a big part of that. Cause I mean, Lee Corso was out about half the season and then Pat McAfee filled in, in those, in those times. So, um, could be just a big shift and change in personnel and general vibe of college game day. So, um, it'll suck to see it change, but I, I don't know. I'm kind of here for it. So, yeah, I, I've liked the pack, the Pat McAfee transition. I hope he becomes a mainstay on, game day especially as we go through this like future of transition that we're talking about um i was a bigger fan of pat mcafee like when he first started making sports content um he's a little cringy on game day sometimes but it's game day i guess it has to be a little cringy yeah yeah he he (laughs) definitely adds a different flair sometimes he says some things i'm like uh but uh all in all, I think he brings a, a, a good component there. And he's definitely he's definitely polarizing. He's got uh, the people that really like him and the people that really hate him. So um, I think the the people that like him outweigh. So, all right, week three of bowl picks. It's our last full week of a full slate of games to choose from. Um, we're each going to give out our favorite underdog over and under pick. And this is probably the most pivotal week in the season. So I don't know. I made my picks yesterday and I'm, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a reason to doubt my picks, but then I just started doubting. I'm like, I do not want to wear that Carolina shirt. at one. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting down to it. So it's getting a little, little nerve wracking, but uh, for favorite this week, I am going with Clemson. Minus four and a half versus Tennessee in the Capital One Orange Bowl. That game is going to be on Friday on the 30th. Uh, I just think four and a half and that spread has been going down, but I think four and a half is a little too low for Clemson, especially with the differences we were talking about on Clemson's defensive playmakers being there minus uh, Miles Murphy. But I think we can replace him pretty well. Uh, and then Tennessee's offense just not being there four and a half, I think it's too low. My, I, I, I don't, I, I stayed away from that game. I didn't, I think Clemson wins by more than four and a half, but I don't know. I got, I got a weird feeling. I did not, I wanted to stay away from that game. So my favorite, I went with, uh, uh, Pitt versus UCLA. UCLA is a six point favorite, uh, in the Tony, the tiger bowl on <laughs> the same day, Friday. That's an interesting name for one. I feel um, like they've gotten weirder this year. Oh, yeah. I'm, this next one that I'm about to say is probably the worst. Um, my underdog pick this week is Purdue plus 14 and a half in, versus LSU in the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, uh, which has to go down as the worst pairings of sponsor and bowl game ever. That one's not until uh, January the 2nd, though. Uh, well, Cheez-It Citrus. That one threw me off, too, because... Um, there's also just the generic citrus bowl. Oh, they're different. Yeah. There's a, there's the citrus bowl, the cheese at citrus bowl. And then there's the cheese at bowl, which, uh, Oklahoma and Florida state are playing in. Oh, I thought that they were all the same thing. <laughs> no, no, this is not the bowl game that Clemson played in last year. This is okay, a different well, cheese at bowl. So there's like two, two sponsors two cheese at sponsor in two games. And there's two citrus bowls. Is there two citrus bowls? Didn't you just say that? Sorry, if I did, I misspoke. There's two cheese it bowls. Okay, I was about to say, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that one's just disgusting. I don't even want to think about eating cheese its with like an orange. Mm, yeah, not 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 the vibe. Um, 
I'm sticking with a January 2nd game, the Rose Bowl. I'm going with Penn State plus two and a half uh, over Utah. I did consider picking uh, Purdue, the game you picked there, Matthew, but I don't know. I, I feel like maybe a month off, Kelly can get those Tigers fired up and, and uh, put up some points. So, uh, your overpick. Yeah, uh, I'm sticking with that same game. You just picked Penn State, Utah. Uh, that's going to go – I sorry. The line for that is 52.5. I think it's going to go over in the Rose Bowl um, on Friday also. Or not Friday, the second. Uh, my overpick, I am going with the Sugar Bowl on New Year's Eve, Alabama and Kansas State. Uh, Over-under is set at 56. Um I think Alabama can get pretty close to that on its own. So um, I think that one's going to be a high scoring game. Well, that's very interesting because for my under, I <laughs> picked the Alabama Kansas state game to go under 56 in the sugar bowl. Um, I was thinking that Alabama is going to dominate this game. They didn't have any opt outs. They're going to be at full force. Kansas state is really good. I've been on Kansas state all year, but they're not this good. So I think, like I said, I think Alabama is going to score most of these points, but I don't see how I don't, I, if it's 49 to seven, if that's the final score, I'd be pretty surprised. I think Kansas state might be able to hold Alabama to a little bit less than that. Yeah. Um, so that'll be a pivotal one here in the uh, final, uh, the final week there with us going opposite on the over under there. Uh, my under pick is the cheese at bowl. Oklahoma versus Florida State. The over-under is set at 66 points. So uh, Florida State has kind of improved as the season's gone on. I still don't know about Oklahoma yet. Granted, it is Venable's first year, but I, I do think this. I think they'll wrap up this year, put it behind them, and, and make a stride next season. So I'm going under 66 in this game on the 29th. I so thought that, that game was going to be is going to be pretty good, too, because it, it'll be interesting to see Venables playing against a team that he's schemed against before. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he doesn't have the talent on defense that he has at Clemson or that he had at Clemson at Oklahoma. So um, it'll be interesting. I'm excited to watch that one. I saw somebody shared it on. I think it was the cheese at bowl official account. I guess they did like a joint like day with the two teams at a theme park down there in Orlando. I don't know which one. Uh, but it was uh, Norvell and Venable sitting in the front seat of a roller coaster together and was like, <laughs> caption this. Um, but yeah, I bet Norvell did not expect to see uh, Venables again. He's probably not too happy about it either. Probably not. All right. Next, we uh, pestered our family at the gathering this week for Christmas to give us picks for the playoff as well as some hot takes. So we will insert audio for our family's uh, playoff picks here my name is gerald i am matthew's dad um my semi semi-final games uh, predictions uh i'm going to go with michigan over tcu just a better team all around and the georgia ohio state game i am going to go with my heart over my head uh, because of my disdain utter disdain for all things georgia and pick ohio state to win Florida, Ohio State, and Michigan rematch in the championship. And in that regard, I will pick Ohio State to upset Michigan and win the national championship this year. Uh, My name's Bev, and my prediction for the upcoming playoffs, I think Georgia's going to win that one, and I think Michigan 
Um, and then in the final game, I believe it'll be Georgia over Michigan. Hello, I'm Elizabeth, and I think for the semi semifinals, Ohio State will beat Georgia, and Michigan will beat TCU, and Ohio State will win the national championship, and I can only hope and pray anyone wins except for Georgia. Go Tigers. Hello, NNA fans. This is Andy from Beaufort, South Carolina. In my prediction for the playoffs, I've got TCU over Michigan, and I've got Georgia over the Buckeyes, and Georgia winning it all over uh, TCU. My name's Dwayne, and I'm picking Georgia, Michigan, and then Georgia to win the Natty. My name's Devin, and my playoff predictions are that UGA is going to beat Ohio State, and TCU is going to beat Michigan, and UGA is going to win it all. This is Emily. I think that UGA is going to beat Ohio State, and I think Michigan is going to beat TCU, and I think Michigan's going to win it all. All right. Thanks to our family for um, participating. Some of them more reluctant than others. But um, as far as our family goes, we have one, two Ohio State predictions to win the national championship, four Georgia predictions, and one Michigan uh, winner. So thoughts on that? I know you haven't heard these yet. Yeah, I haven't. Um Personally, for playoffs, I'm trying to think. I did like a bowl pick them with my friends. Uh, just like throw five bucks in and whoever gets the most percentage wins. But uh, I'm trying to remember what I ended up picking for the playoffs. I know I probably picked against Georgia because they're all going to be Georgia fans and going to pick Georgia. So if that game swings, then I'll get a point swing on it. Um, so I picked Michigan and I probably picked... Or no, I picked Ohio State and probably TCU, maybe. I don't remember exactly what it is. Um, it'll be interesting. I'm I'm not too invested personally in this year's playoffs. I just kind of want to see how it goes down. Yeah, same. I'm, and I'm going to miss that TCU-Michigan game. I'm traveling that day, so but I will have the, uh, the ability to watch the Ohio State-Georgia game, which my buddy whose house I'm coming to, he doesn't know it, but the second I get in the door, I'm going to ask him to put it on the TV, and he <laughs> is a uh, big sports hater. He does not like sports at all, so I'm sure he <laughs> will love that. Um, I, uh, If I remember correctly, I think that I um, – or at least this is what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that Georgia – um, wins against Ohio State and then loses to Michigan in the national championship. That would be nice. I wouldn't be too mad about that. I Like I said, I'm, I'm not personally invested in this year's playoff. My only personal investment is not wanting Georgia to win. So yeah. anything that happens with, with that outcome is fine. All right. Here are a couple hot takes uh, from our family. And my hot take is if Will Shipley would have gotten an Additional 10 carries against South Carolina, we would be in the playoffs. My hot take is with Cade Klubnick as quarterback at Clemson, our below average wide receiver core actually becomes an A minus to a B with him playing quarterback all year long. 
Uh, I agree, Andy. I <laughs> I think I said almost similar things during uh during our South Carolina week episode. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's all even a hot take, Andy. No, I don't. I don't think it is either. And I agree. Uh, yeah, give give Shipley the ball, and I think Clemson wins that game. Uh, and then uh, your father, this is his Gerald reference. He actually made the show. Who's who's also going to be a guest on the show the final week? Um, but I'm forgetting what he said. It was about K Clubnick. Yeah, that uh, our average receivers will be that's up right. to like an A minus receiver receiving core with Kate Klubnick. Um I don't disagree fully, but it's I'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. We still need help in the recruiting trail at receiver. Like we could use a big transfer receiver. Um yeah, Kate's going to make our wide receivers better, but they aren't that good to start with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they did look a lot better in that ACC championship against North Carolina. Granted, North Carolina did not prepare for Cade. And then also, um, you saw an impact from some receivers that North Carolina was not ex- expecting to, nor had they really made that big of an impact uh, throughout the season. So I think this Tennessee game will uh, shed a little bit more light on that, and maybe we'll have a little bit more of an idea on that hot take uh, post-Orange Bowl. All right, Clemson and Tennessee talking points. Uh, Clemson trails Tennessee overall in the series 6-11 to 11 with two ties. Um, this will be a neutral site game. Obviously, Clemson leads that uh, one to nothing. Um, and that was the last meeting on January 2nd, 2004, when the Tigers beat the Volunteers there in Georgia 27-14. to 14. Yeah, that was actually... Um my first bowl game if i'm recalling correctly i even mentioned it on the podcast a few weeks ago uh when we were talking about falling from the top deck of stadiums oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) that game uh was featured in the blind side which has always annoyed me because when tim mcgraw's character is watching it they altered the score uh in that game to where it looked like tennessee was winning and I just don't understand. Why would you do that? Like, <laughs> if you want to have a game where Tennessee's winning, why not just post a game that Tennessee's winning? Yeah, why do you have to come slander on us? Yeah, I was, I was a big Tim McGraw fan. That made me question it a little bit. So, <laughs> uh, but he did have a great role in 1883. So it's all Tim's one. fault. It's all Tim's fault. Uh, Clemson is attempting to improve the 27 and 22 all-time in bowl contests. Uh, a 27th bowl win would move Clemson to ninth in FBS history. Uh, Ohio State also can do the same thing. So if both Clemson and Ohio State win their uh, bowl games, they will be tied uh, for for ninth there together. Does the national championship count as another bowl game, or is only the play like the semifinal? I think a they bowl do. Game? I think they do count the national championship. So technically, Ohio State could get to 29 this year they could yes uh clemson's attempting to improve uh to five and two all-time in orange bowl games uh joining wins with uh 1950 81 2013 and 2015 uh i think i've referenced that uh 2015 game not too long ago watching that at a buffalo wild wings in columbia 
Um, Sweeney is coaching his 200th career game, and he will join Frank Howard, who has 295 games coached, uh, as the only head coaches in school history to coach in 200 games. Uh, Clemson's facing Tennessee's coach uh, Josh Heupel for the first time. Uh, Clemson is 43-5 and when facing opposing head coaches for the first time since 2011. Uh, dating back to 1950, Clemson is 160, 70, 71, and three uh, when facing new coaches. Kate Klubnick uh, will become the first Clemson quarterback since the modernization of Clemson's quarterback position in 1953 to make his first career start in postseason. Uh, Kate also will become the eighth true freshman to start at quarterback uh, for Clemson since the NCAA instituted permanent freshman eligibility in 1972. He will join uh, Steve Fuller, Willie Jordan, Patrick Sapp, Neyland Green, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, and DJ. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce his last name because I know Matthew's <laughs> going to clown on me. So No, I um, was I was waiting for you. I saw this note and I was waiting for you to say it. I was hoping you were going to say it right. I'm not, not making fun of you. I was just trying I told, to help. I, I think I said last week's episode, I'm, I'm just from now on, especially since he's not a Clemson Tiger anymore, uh, he's just DJ to me now. So, uh, But I think since uh, this has definitely been since last week's episode, he has announced his transfer to Oregon State. Um, two years ago, if you mentioned the Civil War was going to have Bo Nix and DJ playing in it, you would have been like, what happened in college football <laughs> that those two guys from the South are uh, going out to Oregon to play? And that's going to be the Uyungala label. Um, I saw a funny tweet from Big Dave. Uh, somebody said about uh, you're going to be wearing the biggest split jersey ever made uh, of like a half Oregon, <laughs> half Oregon State one. And he said he's already getting it made right now. Oh, you um, know for a fact he's going to be wearing one of those jerseys. <laughs> and it's going to be like a 6X too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so – uh, what, uh, that's kind of what's on the line. What could happen? What are your general thoughts of, or vibes with this game, Matthew? So, um, I mean, with, like I said earlier with Tennessee's talent on offense, a lot of them are opting out and the opposite is happening for Clemson's defense. I think we're going to be able to dominate on that side of the ball from the start. They, Tennessee might be able to break off a few big plays and, keep the score a little closer but i think overall the um the it's going to be pretty dominant for clemson's defense i believe uh the story is really going to be how cade plays and how the offense plays around him if it continues to play like they played against north carolina which tennessee's defense is a little bit better than north carolina's and but they're still not great um then i think clemson dominates this one pretty easily score prediction wise i'm Picking thirty-eight to seventeen, Clemson. I realize as you gave out your score prediction, I didn't even prepare one. So as I'm talking through this, I'm going to create one in my head. Um, I agree with you. I think the the pivotal part of this game is going to be Clemson's offense versus Tennessee's defense. Like you mentioned, they're not spectacular, um, but can Clemson replicate uh, lightning in a bottle like they did against North Carolina? Um, I'm interested to see how that passing game goes. Are they using Cade a little bit, letting him work with his legs? Uh, I'm not worried about Clemson's defense uh, for the same reasons you mentioned, the Tennessee's offensive weapons 
the the reason they were so good so early on in the season uh, are not going to be a factor in this game, which like we touched on before, it is disappointing. This is this could be this could be a really big matchup, a really big game, and it's kind of lost its luster. But um, really looking forward to it. I think Clemson wins. Uh, let's see, as I'm making this up in my head, what did you say? Thirty four seventeen. Thirty eight seventeen. Thirty eight seventeen. Okay, I'm gonna go thirty one. 31-17, so similar. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, like I said earlier, this at one point in the season, if I told you that this was the national championship game, you would have believed me. Absolutely. So uh, it does suck that it's not going to be as great as it could have been, but I still think it's going to be a good game. Good time for Clemson to grow. It, Cade got a lot of opportunity in this month off to run with the ones, get a lot of reps and get chemistry going. So uh, I'm excited to see how it goes. Yeah. And I also think, I think the trend might continue with this game too, where he's hitting some of our guys who hadn't necessarily been starters this season. You saw it with uh, Turner. Uh, You saw um, uh, Randall uh, have a good game. Um, So I'm, I'm curious to see as far as Clemson's wide receiver weapons put that in quotation there um which <laughs> ones have bigger games is it ones that have played with the ones all year or is it the ones that Cade who's been playing with the twos all year um uh, who who he probably has a little bit more chemistry with so uh that'll be interesting to see but yeah i think i think you can still call them weapons because you can still call like a nerf gun a weapon right <laughs> yeah you probably you're probably not allowed to bring those to a school so yeah you can't bring them to an airport so i guess uh it still counts as a weapon um, <laughs> and speaking of airports, I saw it was reported earlier this week with with all the flight cancellations and all that stuff. Cade's parents rented a car and him driving from Texas to Miami, which was about a twenty hour drive to this game to see their son start his first game. Honestly, doesn't sound like a bad time, but uh, I'm also flying. I'm actually flying Southwest, so, uh, which is where I'm flying Southwest in a few, like a few days, probably a few weeks or like a week from now. Um, so hopefully it's all fixed by then. Yeah, hopefully you have a, a smooth uh, time there at the airport. Uh, I threw this out there on Twitter uh, at this point, probably a week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, Clemson is playing in at Hard Rock Stadium, which is home of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, all three touchdowns that Cade is responsible for this season have occurred in NFL stadiums. He had one uh, pass in Atlanta. And then he had a pass and a rushing touchdown in Charlotte in the Panther Stadium. So um, he's just built for Sundays. Yeah. Yeah. He's just uh, giving everybody a little teaser for a couple of years when he uh, hits the draft. So, well, that wraps up today's show. Uh, Next week, when you join us, we'll be reviewing Clemson's final game of the season. Uh, Crying. Do what? Crying, reminiscing. Yeah. (laughs) This season went by so fast. I, I, I know I think I've mentioned it to you. It seems like a month ago that we were going to Atlanta uh, for yeah. that first Georgia Tech game. It really does. Like, I feel like even just thinking about that, we only have two episodes left to record uh, for the season just feels like we've only recorded a handful and we're just now getting our stride. We're just now getting good equipment and getting good at it. And now it's over. So we'll have to figure something out to keep it going. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll have to stay in practice in the off season. 
but uh, next week, we're still working on lining up a guest next week. And then, as we mentioned, Gerald will make his debut on the podcast. Um, so I'm sure he will be full of a lot of hot takes and that sort of stuff. So uh, two more episodes left, a lot of more information to cover, and then we'll be done for the season. So uh, thanks again for listening. As always, if you don't follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of that stuff, give us a follow YouTube. Um, be sure to follow us so you can stay up to date. All right. Peace. Peace.